You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sunny Gray. Sup? What a busy week. Hope you're all well. I got some cool messages this week. How about this one from Best PBX from OTR Plus who says, Oh my word! Ten exclamation points! You are a man after my own heart. Thanks so much for these podcasts and for the articles you've posted as well. I enjoyed your information about Eric Bloor. The part about the New Yorker and his death was great. I guess he showed them he has always been a favourite of mine. You're very welcome, best PBX. Eric Bloor has and continues to rock my socks. And you're correct. The story of what happened when he died is the stuff of legend. If anyone out there would like to know what best PBX and myself are talking about, do go to atboyclarence.com and look under heroes and you'll find the Eric Bloor tribute which tells you everything. Another message on Facebook from Andy Holdsworth, which says, I just listened to the first 45 minutes of each of your specials. On balance, I preferred the 1930s BBC delivery of The Game is Afoot rather than your sexy delivery of Sex in Monaco. That wasn't my sexy voice, Andy. That was my half-drunk, fatigued voice. But I'm sorry to hear that it didn't tickle your jellyfish. Still, nice that you thought my voice was sexy. Your wife will be pleased. Got one from Teresa Brown on Facebook, which says, Say! Three wise. Weren't you having Christy Putnam on your 5.18 show at 2 p.m.? I don't understand that. Is it 5.18 or 2 p.m.? Weren't you having Christy Putnam on your 5.18 show at 2 p.m. CST talking about classic films at the TCM Film Festival? What happened? I don't know what you're talking about, but I kind of wish that was my life. Intrigue! I googled Christy Putnam, and she's either an old lady who looks like a high court judge, or a beautiful 20-something in a hoodie, or an elderly gent in an off-the-rack blazer. So Christy, whichever one of those people you are, I hope that you weren't standing in the rain at the TCM Film Festival waiting for me to turn up and talk to you about classic films, because I was actually sat in a caravan near Oxford at the time on a completely separate continent to you. (laughs) Poor old Christy. Is anyone in the market for a new car? know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. New from the front. New from the side. Can you see where he's going with this? New from the rear. Only Edsel has the sleek, clean line design that sets it apart from the lookalike cars. And it combines new looks with the newest V8 engines in the world, the big new Edsel 400 and the power-packed Edsel 475. Yes, but is it new? So, first movie I want to tell you about this week. This is The Body Snatcher from 1945, directed by Robert Wise, who went on to direct The Haunting and uh, The Sound of Music. Stars Boris Karloff. I must be given time to finish my experiments. And, uh, and Bela Lugosi. I wish I had Boris Karloff's career. Um, it also stars uh, Henry Danielle, who you'll know about if you listen to the Rathbone documentary. He was quite simply the definitive Moriarty of the screen. Here he plays Dr. McFarlane, who's a surgeon professor who needs bodies for his lesson, so he has graves robbed by John Gray, played by uh, Boris Karloff. And the bodies are brought to his laboratory, but it isn't long before Gray runs out of graves to rob, so he starts to prowl the streets for more merchandise. This fellow would have been a great one at hurling the bar. Beautiful bicep. Burke and Hare could never have got the best of him. What did you say? Well, I was just making a joke, sir. It's a poor subject for jest, particularly for a medical student. It's a very uneasy film, very atmospheric. You really do feel the gloom of the Victorian lamplights, and Robert Wise's direction is 
pitch perfect. Obviously, it's based on the story of Burke and Hare, even though, even though they're actually name-checked in the film. There's a very effective scene where Karloff murders a street singer. She sings as she walks through a gloomy arch, and you just see Karloff's rickety old cart uh, trundle after her. And then her singing is cut short. It's extremely well done. That's the gift of old Jimmy, silk and gold and gold. Kind of a shame then, that even with what amounts to uh, an extended cameo, really, from a rather tired looking Bella Lugosi, that the script is unusually dull. <laughs> there are long stretches of exposition and uh, this side plot involving a young doctor who's trying to persuade Dr. McFarlane to operate on a little girl because he's fallen in love with her mother. They're a terrible supporting cast. <laughs> the film only really springs to life when the three leads are allowed to chew up the scenery. And there is a salvation of sorts in the climax, which does cast a supernatural pull over the closing minutes. It's definitely a nice, jarring little finale. All in all, it's a weaker horror film than most of its 1940s contemporaries. It's an RKO film, and you do get the feeling that in the hands of Universal, it would have been a lot tighter, a lot more pulpy, and uh, definitely a lot more fun. Still, worth a look if you're a Karloff fan, and if you're a fan of quite respected English actors doing quite appalling Scottish accents. You're a fey creature made with mad ideas, but you have a wildness that holds me to you, my lass. Och, I the new, I hae a second film to tell ye of. Tis a wee bonny, bonny gangster film from 1938. And it has quite possibly the most innuendo-tastic title o' any film. It's called The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse. Your mind swims with possibility. Clitterhouse. Great cast in this thing. You've got Edward G. Robinson as Dr. Clitterhouse. You never find out his first name. It'd be great if his first name was like Jeff Clitterhouse, Graham Clitterhouse, or Dick Clitterhouse. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one wins. He's called Dick Clitterhouse from now on, everyone, because I'm that mature. <laughs> so anyway, he's a society doctor, very well off, and he has this theory that criminality is actually a medical condition and uh, can be treated and cured. So to prove it, he embarks on a robbery spree so that he can measure his physiological reaction to crime. I'm planning a book on the medical aspects of crime, showing how the criminal's life produces such extreme nervous tension that it changes his entire mental and physical makeup. I'm convinced that there are medical reasons for these changes. Changes which manifest themselves in the blood pressure and the altered ratio of the blood corpuscles and the heightened activity of the nerves and the glands. Do you understand, Miss Randolph? I want to analyze scientifically the precise nature of these changes. But of course I can do it only by studying criminals while they're at work, not after they've been put away behind bars. Proper subjects for such research are naturally difficult to find. So of necessity, I began these experiments on myself. I planned the series of burglaries and went through with them. As accurately as I could, I observed my own reactions. Pulse, respiration, blood pressure, what precisely as I'm doing now. Oh, and incidentally, nurse, I find it very fascinating. Well, he's so good at it that it isn't long before he's overloaded with stolen jewels, so he needs a fence so that he can get rid of them. And he falls in touch with a gang headed by Rox Valentine, played by Humphrey Bogart. And it isn't long before Dr. Clitterhouse has superseded Rox as the boss, as his schemes seem to be netting them so much money. The problem is, though, that he soon finishes his uh, experiment with crime and wants to return to his former life uh, so that he can publish his findings and begin treating criminals. But Rox and the gang decide to blackmail him into staying, which leads to murder. What's your plan, Rox? To make this my headquarters and you my contact man, Dr. Clitterhouse. It's not bad, eh, Joe? The best break we could have hoped for. He gives us a perfect front. Us? Sure, you're in this with me, Joe. Of course, you won't be seeing as much of the professor as you'd like, but I'll have more time for you. So I'm to continue working with you? Not with me, Doc. You're working for me. You got an in with those rich guys. They trust you, invite you to their houses. Dr. Clitterhouse, you're gonna get me the layouts of those houses. 
You're going to get me the keys to their doors. You're going to find out the combinations to their safes. You're going to tell me when they're home and when they're not. Sometimes you'll do the job yourself, sometimes I'll do it. But every time, you're going to turn over the stuff to me. And just to show you that I ain't a bad guy, I'm going to give you 10% of the take. That's very generous of you. You'll take it and like it. Should be a terrible film. It's certainly got a terrible title. But much like other heart-on-their-sleeves schlock thrillers of the era, like The Brighton Strangler. The Brighton Strangler. Canterbury. Canterbury. It just revels in its B-moviness. It doesn't take itself seriously for one second. There are some proper laughs in this too. The baddies are all snivelling weasels and the cops are all really stupid and the girls are all pretty. And you have this overarching Warner Brothers glow. They really were at the top of their game in 1938. This was the same year that they made Jezebel and Four Daughters and Dawn Patrol and Angels with Dirty Faces and The Adventures of Robin Hood. This was blockbuster stuff. And The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, okay, it's not perhaps stood the test of time as well as its 1938 brothers and sisters and let's face it it's probably because it's called the amazing dr clitterhouse clitterhouse but if you're the kind of person who enjoys a good bout of light-hearted crime fiction with a few shocking moments and a cracking little ending and starring edward g robinson and humphrey bogart then you're certainly the kind of person who can see past the fact that this film is all about a man called clitterhouse clitterhouse Ever seen a film starring The Saint? If you're a fan of The Saint, then you'll know that George Sanders, aka the voice of Sheer Khan, aka Scott Folliott from Foreign Correspondent, was the most famous saint of the silver screen. Well, in 1940, he hung up his halo and the role was taken over by Hugh Sinclair, a largely forgotten actor these days, but who gave it a good go. His first outing in the role was The Saint's Vacation in 1941. This was directed by Leslie Fenton, who was a former actor himself. He played Nails Nathan in the James Cagney classic, The Public Enemy. Listen, I'm getting fed up on these rubber checks bouncing in. We're laying down good beer and getting nothing but a lot of bum paper. I got one this morning for 1200 from that Pete over on Kedzie Avenue. Get over there. I want the dough. Cassery's hot. If you can't bring in one, bring in the other. He was also married to the actress Anne Vorschach, who was a big star in the 30s. She played lots of moles. Anyway, Fenton turned his hand to directing in 1940, made a string of B-movies, and his second film was The Saint's Vacation. The plot is basically a nothing. There's a criminal after a secret code hidden in a musical box, and the saint has the box, but then he loses it, and then he gets it back, and then he loses it, and so on and so on. I'm leaving. Leaving? We come here for a quiet holiday, and in a few minutes we've beaten up the police, kidnapped a complete stranger, and stolen a box of whatever it is. I refuse to be involved in this any further. Is he really going? Yes, as far as the bar. To be honest, the plot is probably very, very good, but you'll never know. And the reason that you'll never know is that the romantic lead in this film is played by, quite simply, one of the most breathtakingly beautiful actresses who ever appeared in cinema. Her name was Sally Gray. She is so inutterably beautiful that it is almost impossible to pay attention to anything else when she's on screen. And as a result, the already flimsy plot becomes a little secondary. I'm sorry, it's just a little Sally Gray to concentrate. As you can see, I do have a little crush. Sally Gray. Sally Gray actually had a very interesting career. She began in romantic comedies playing in very light-hearted films before making the move to rather more dynamic films as the 40s began, including actually two Saint movies. She did make The Saint in London when George Sanders was in the role two years earlier in 1939, and she had a remarkable effect on celluloid. Not only was she magnificent to gaze upon, but she possessed a fantastically smoky, husky voice. Well, apparently some people can resist his fatal charm. You're jealous. Mm, it's not jealousy, that's merely observation. She gave him the cold shoulder. I say, why didn't you bring her over? Well, I tried. Oh, it's a pity. I mean, here we are, three, a crowd. Who am I supposed to be with, Monty? You are, Mr. Temple. Oh, Simon will do. Simon, by all means. She was also a remarkably talented dancer. During 1933, she starred on the London stage in The Gay Divorcee with Fred Astaire, who was so taken with her that he gave her private dance lessons. Unfortunately, just after Saint's Vacation, she suffered a collapse when her partner, the actor Stanley Lupino, died of cancer. 
The collapse was so bad, in fact, that she effectively retired from the screen at the age of 26. Fortunately, though, she returned to films in 1946 for a few years and made a string of films that really established her as Britain's brightest light. She starred in the outstanding murder mystery Green for Danger, which even today stands up as one of the greatest murder mysteries of all time. Then They Made Me a Fugitive with Trevor Howard, followed by a very strong series of movies that really got her noticed, even in America. Until in 1949, she co-starred in perhaps the finest British thriller of the 40s, an absolutely note-perfect, black as black can be, yet still wickedly witty suspense film, directed by Edward Dimitrov. This is the last film I want to tell you about today, and it's called Obsession. I saw you and Storm laughing and chatting together, and to my long-experienced eye flashed the familiar message, Storm's under full sail again. The calm has lifted. You see, I had decided what to do with the next one before you even met my wife. And you, Bill, are the next one. Yes. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill you. I did agonise about whether or not to tell you about this film, as it's one of my all-time favourite movies. It's seriously in my top ten. I cannot evangelise about this film enough. And sometimes you want to keep your darlings close to your chest because you just couldn't stand the thought of someone disagreeing with you about it. However, we're talking about Sally Gray, and it just isn't possible to talk about Sally Gray without talking about obsession. She plays Storm Reardon, the beautiful but utterly faithless wife of a doctor, Clive Reardon, played by Robert Newton, who's become so exhausted by his wife's infidelities that he decides to take absolute revenge against her by kidnapping her boyfriend, an American, uh, who's called Bill Cronin, played by Phil Brown. I'm going to kill you. The last she sees of Bill is when he and Clive leave the house, and so begins this cat and mouse game between Storm and Clive. She's trying to use her wiles to convince Clive that she knows exactly what Clive's done with her boyfriend, that he's actually been in touch and that he's safely back in the States and that Clive has no bargaining chips to emotionally blackmail her with. So you've had a letter from Bill Cronin? Yes. When was this? Just before lunch. So he's alive then? Naturally. Where is he? He doesn't want you to know. May I see the letter? I've burnt it. Well, it's nice to know that he's turned up again. Isn't it? Let me see now. It must be uh, five days since I scared the daylight out of it. Frankly, you know, I didn't think you'd hear from him again. You surely didn't think your petty jealousy would put Bill off? Yes. I wish I hadn't burnt that letter. Then you could have read what I read. Well, go on, I won't tell anyone. Bill's waiting for me, do you hear? Bill's waiting for me. He loves me and wants me to divorce you. He's waiting for me and loves me as you've never loved me. When are you off, my dear? Every single statement she makes is met with the same wry little smile from Clive, who allows her to think that she has the upper hand and that she knows what she's talking about. The fact of the matter is, that Clive's revenge plot goes much further than simply making Bill disappear. As it turns out, Clive is rather a skilled chemist and he's putting his skills to rather grisly use. This is, quite simply, one of the best suspense thrillers ever made. A classic slice of British noir, immaculately plotted, faultlessly scripted. There are verbal exchanges in this film that are to die for, and the two-handed scenes between Robert Newton and Phil Brown are faultlessly written. It's also a remarkably valuable time capsule. You really get a bird's-eye snapshot of post-war Britain with its half-pristine, half-bombed London streets, plus a terrific supporting turn from Norton Wayne as the all-knowing Superintendent Finsbury, who gradually pieces together the whole plot. He's one of those supernaturally gifted detectives who are such a pleasure to watch, a bit like Columbo. Well, it's awfully nice of you to have taken so much trouble. Not at all. And uh, perhaps you'll thank your superior at the yard. Of course. I certainly thank my superior. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be patronising. But I take it that you're a comparatively new recruit? Oh dear, and I try so hard to look wise and worldly. By the way, what is your rank? Is that the word? Yes, that's the word. I'm a superintendent. 
you sort of know from the off that he's got the measure of Clive. And once he starts to not only get one step, but several strides ahead of life, the whole dynamic of the film alters and Clive goes from being the hunter to a complete douche canoe. It's a wonderful film, an absolute treasure of a movie. The performances are superb. Robert Newton is his oily, wicked best. He's a magnificent villain. And Phil Brown is brilliant as Bill Cronin. I can't really go into what he suffers too much or it'll spoil the film for you. Norton Wayne, who seems to be mentioned every week at the moment, who's one of the golfers in the film I told you about last week, Dead of Night, is fantastic. When the film ends, you really wish that he'd gotten his own series of films. He totally could have carried them. And Sally Gray, of course, is devilishly good in this. She's an utter vamp, a complete she-devil. You almost get the feeling that she and Clive deserve each other. It was a brave thing, really, to see a husband and wife who so desperately despised each other, but who were so perfect together. Oh, by the way, what did Scotland Yard say? Scotland Yard? Yes, weren't they please? You surely told them of your letter. Why should I? Well, really, my dear, the Yard have spent the most strenuous few days searching high and low for Bill Cronin, dead or alive. The police on the continent, in the States, they're still searching for him. And you know where he is, but you must tell them at once. It was a private letter. Now, now, just a minute. I come into this too, you know. You? But of course. Since you told me about the letter, I'd be an accessory if I kept the knowledge to myself. Well, there's the most awful penalty for that. Hundreds of pounds, or jail, or something. My course is plain. Who are you phoning? Scotland Yard. Put that down. Put that down! So, he's waiting for you, and he loves you as I have never loved you. Well, well. I hate you. It's an outstanding film, one of my personal favourites. If you're a fan of suspense movies with a wicked edge, think Hitchcock mid-40s period, you'll love it. Hitchcock must have seen this film and kicked himself. I love this film. In fact, I love it so much that I have decided to make it the prize for this week's competition. Furthermore, I couldn't bear to part with my own copy of this film, <laughs> Sentimental Value, so I've actually bought a brand spanking new copy of this film on DVD, and it's, it's here with me now, still in its cellophane wrapper pristine and uh, and waiting for one of you lucky people to add it to your collection. To win it is the simplest thing in the world. Come back after the radio play and I'll tell you how. So, radio play for this week. No messing around. <laughs> Judge for yourselves just how distracting a man's name can be. It gives me great pleasure to introduce the Screen Guild Theatre's presentation of the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse with its original team of Edward G. Robinson and Humphrey Bogart. Clitterhouse. Remember, we decided it's Dick Clitterhouse because we're very grown-up people. Dick Clitterhouse. And now, a word about our story. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that's somebody about to come in the office of Dr. Clitterhouse. Let's listen in and see what's cooking. Why, Dr. Clitterhouse, I didn't expect you back so early. Was Mrs. Updike's party duller than you thought it would be? No, just about as dull. I never met a woman with such amazing courage. Every time Mrs. Updike hits a high note, I expect her to hit her back. <laughs> oh, uh, do you remember Inspector Lane of the police department, Miss Randolph? Of course. Did you enjoy the musical, Inspector? As a matter of fact, nurse, I didn't get there till it was over. Oh? The inspector was invited uh, quite as an afterthought, Miss Randolph. It seems that while Mrs. Updike was singing Close Thine Eyes in the parlor, somebody was in her bedroom stealing $100,000 worth of jewelry. Well, looks like there's plenty cooking, doesn't it? Before we find out just what is on the fire, suppose we find out what's cooking with Bud Heaston. All right, Bud? You know, folks, this is the one season of the year when many of you car owners, especially up north, can actually feel the need of having your car prepared for the weather that's approaching. For when the autumn wind comes whipping round your ears, that's a mighty good reminder that your car needs protection, too. That's why, right now, your neighborhood good golf dealer is offering his own winter service specials. You folks in the north will find that your good golf dealer has a light, free-flowing grade of golf lube motor oil that will give you faster starts. And that he has lighter lubricants for your transmission and differential to make shifting and driving easier. In addition, there's that famous Golflex service, Golflex Registered Lubrication the modern scientific method of car lubrication that protects the chassis and wearing parts of your car and helps it last longer. So start this season off right. Stop tomorrow at your good golf dealer's for his own winter service special. Check, Mr. Heaston. And now, friends, there's dirty work afoot, so let's get back into Dr. Clitterhouse's office. 
where he and Nurse Randolph and Inspector Lane are discussing the jewel robbery at Mrs. Updike's music hall. All right, Oscar Bradley, put us back in Dr. Critterhouse's office. A hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry. That thief was no piker. Do you have any clues, Inspector? No, not yet, but we'll catch the fellow, all right. Oh, yes, I was almost forgetting why he came here with me, Inspector. Uh, Miss Randolph, uh, Inspector Lane has a headache. Uh, will you get me that bottle of uh, paradictal chloride tablet? I, I believe it's in the cabinet. Yes, sir. Oh, and uh, put my bag in the closet for me, will you? Certainly, Doctor. I hope your pills will fix me up. I haven't had a good night's sleep in weeks. Well, these robberies are getting on your nerves, hmm? Yeah, this uptake affair is the fourth in the last month. All obviously done by the same man, too. Yes, you have no idea who the crook is. No, not yet. But he'll make a mistake. They all do. Well, uh, what kind of a mistake do you think he'll make, Lane? Is this that hobby of yours again? The medical approach to crime? Well, uh, someday criminologists will thank me for that hobby. But I would like to know, uh, what kind of a mistake are you hoping for? Well, it'd be nice if he went to the wrong fence. Fence? Uh... Oh, yes, a uh, receiver, you mean, hmm? Yeah, the guy who buys the hot stuff. Oh, yeah. If he picks the wrong one, oh, that'll be the end for him because I know them all. From the double-crossing petty larceny guys right up to Rox Valentine. Rox Valentine. <laughs> what an interesting name. Yeah. Yeah, Rox is the big boy. We've never been able to get much on him. Hmm, Rox Valentine, huh? Well, sounds like a pretty clever fellow. Uh, here are the sleeping pills, Doctor. Oh, thank you. Uh, anything wrong, nurse? Uh, no, no, Nothing. Oh, you look a little upset. Well, uh, this is the paradictal chloride, all right. Uh, found it in the cabinet, hmm? No, Doctor. It was... It was in your medical bag. You, uh... Opened my bag? Yes, Doctor. Well, Lane, uh, these should do the trick. Uh, just take the dose prescribed on the bottle. Only half a tablet? Well, that's all that's given as a sedative. In larger quantities, paradictal chloride is a deadly poison. Oh. Okay, Doctor, and thanks. Hey, this crook would make swell material for your book. When we get him, I'll invite you down. Oh, I'll be there, all right. So you opened my bag, Miss Randolph. Yes, Doctor. Rather glittering array of equipment in that bag, don't you think? Yes, Doctor. Well, did you see any uh, uh, medical supplies you'd care to wear? Dr. Clitterhouse, you, you stole those jewels. They are the proceeds of my fourth burglary. You, deliberately committing a robbery. Four robberies, Miss Randolph. Uh, don't talk as if I were a beginner. But what can you possibly want with all that jewelry? Oh, I don't want it. Candidly, it's a nuisance. An unfortunate byproduct of my experiments. You're experimenting with criminals? Oh, yes, I have been planning a book on the medical aspects of crime for a long time now, Miss Randolph. My book will show how the nervous tension caused by crime changes the entire mental and physical makeup of the criminal. But you don't know any criminals. Precisely. And so I became a criminal myself. I planned a series of burglaries and went through with them. And as accurately as I could, I analyzed my medical reaction to each crime. Because it's uh, merely research in a rather unusual form. Well, uh, let's shut up shop. I've had quite a busy day. Tomorrow I pay a little visit to Rox Valentine. A patient? No, uh, a fence. Well, let's... Uh... What are you looking for, Miss Randolph? A sleeping pill. For me? No, for me. There ain't no Rox Valentine in this apartment. Well, but he must be here. Uh, hey, wait a minute. The Swede didn't send you here, did he? Uh, my good man, it doesn't pay to inquire too deeply into things that concern the, uh, uh, the Swede. Then you are from the Swede. Hmm? Uh, well, who, who said I wasn't? Hmm. What does he look like? The Swede? Yeah. Well, he has blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah. And what kind of accent does he talk with? Uh, Swedish. I guess you're okay. <laughs> I, uh, I gotta be careful, see, cause the heat's on for rocks. He gets kind of nervous at times. Oh, like really? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, tell me, have you ever examined him when he gets nervous? Uh, does he exhibit any outward signs? Uh, constriction of the pupils, for instance. Huh? I say, is there any constriction? Uh, uh, you know what constriction is, don't you? Yeah, sure, but I ain't worried. I'm past the age limit. <laughs> well, come on in. What's going on, okay? This guy wants to see you, Ruff. Yeah? Who are you? Well, that has no bearing on our business. Say the words, boss. I throw him out. Now, take it easy, Popus. I'll handle this. What do you want, buddy? Well, I understand your offense, Mr. Valentine. So what? What's your business? 
this. Holy smoke, diamonds. Boy, what a hunk of ice. Get out your eyeglass, Popa. See if they're the McCoy. What? He's not only 100% as McCoy, but he's positively in person, the Updike brooch. The Updike brooch? Yes. Here's the Updike tiara, the Updike necklace, the Updike bracelet, and the Updike door collar. Holy smoke, what a door collar for a pooch. Uh, what's the leech made out of, platinum? Hey, look, bud. Are you trying to tell us you pulled the Updike job? Well, I'm telling you, uh, nothing. I think that these jewels, being in my possession, speak for me. Yeah, well, they ain't saying why you came down here to see me. Well, it's all very simple, Rocks. I need you, and you need me. Now, what do you say to my joining you professionally? What? You mean become one of the mob? Yes. Yes, screwy. Well, I'm sorry we couldn't make a deal, Rocks, but that's your business. You know, these uptight jewels are small stuff. Yeah? Oh, just a sample of the halls we could make working together. Well, goodbye, gentlemen. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe we could use you at that, buddy. Well, now you're using your head, Rock. Only remember, I don't trust no one, see? No one. <laughs> well, I hope I'll give you good reason to alter that philosophy. He talks like a universal professor, don't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, Professor, you wanted a mob now. Let's have a drink on it. Thank you. Well, here's to crime and research. And what? Never mind. Make it just uh, to crime. Well, here I am, a member of a bona fide group of thieves. It's amazing, gentlemen. Really amazing. Dr. Glitterhouse's office. No, Inspector Lane, the doctor is still in Bermuda. I can't say. It may be months. Or your headaches have returned on account of some robberies. Well, I'll call you the moment the doctor turns to town. All right, Inspector. Hiya, Professor. Oh, uh... Oh, hello, Rock. Everything all right? Yeah, that loft was a pushover. We split up. The boys will be back soon. Say, what's in that tube on your desk? Blood. I took the specimen from O.K. before he went out on the warehouse job. I'll take another when he gets back. You got more O.K.'s blood now than he has. Say, I, uh... I've been wanting to talk to you, Professor. All right, Rocks. What's on your mind? I don't like the way things are going lately. What's the matter? We've been successful enough, haven't we? That ain't it. I used to be the head man around here. I don't like the way you moved in, see? And the main thing I don't like is that book you keep writing. Well, I've told you a hundred times there's nothing in this book that concerns you. Yeah, but if it don't concern me, why don't you show me what's in it? Well, really, Rox, you're, you're making a mountain out of a mole here. I don't go in for this close-mouth business. Now, open up, Professor. What's your name? Hmm? Who are you, anyway? Well, Rox, that is the major thing that doesn't concern you. Hi, you boys. The stuff is here and it's mellow. The most beautiful birds you ever see. Yeah. I picked out a nice mink for my wife. Her sable coat was beginning to look even shabbier than her aiming. Throw the stuff on the table. Let's have a look at it. Yes, and uh, while Rox is examining the take... I I know, I know. Here we go again. Okay, Professor. Jab away. (laughs) You too, Popus. Roll up your sleeves. I'm ready with the needle. Please, Professor. I got enough holes in me now from this. Do you know how we spray the lawn at our house? No. I drink a glass of water and go out and stand in the grass. (laughs) Well, there... Thank you, gentlemen. You've been very good subjects. You've told me all I wanted to know. Ah, it's a nice haul. There must be half a million bucks worth of furs there. My cut will come to plenty. Well, your cut will come to even more than you think, Rock. Huh? What do you mean? Well, I'm going to divide my share among the three of you. Huh? You mean you, you don't want no money from this job? Exactly. What's the idea? Seems kind of funny to me. Funny? He's incomprehensible. Well, <laughs> You see, gentlemen, it's a little farewell gift for me to you. Oh, so you're walking out, huh? Just like that, huh? Uh-huh. Just like that. And taking your little black book with you. Oh, yes, indeed I am. Uh, pardon me, Rox, I'd like to use the phone behind you. Thanks. Hello? Yes, I've decided. Well, uh, tell Mrs. Gansford I'll see her in the morning. What? Yes, I weathered all storms, and I arrive home tomorrow for good. Yes, tomorrow, then. Well, goodbye, gentlemen. It's been very enlightening to have known you. So long, Professor. Happy days, sport. Thanks, fellows. <laughs> 
And now that there are no hard feelings, Rock, get out. <laughs> Very well. I'll see you in the medical papers, gentlemen. You think the guy's Daffy? Daffy, nothing. I'm going to do a little research work on my own. Where's that phone? Give me a screwdriver, Popus. You going to take the phone apart, Bob? Sure, I fitted a piece of the pencil lead under the dial. When your professor spun it, it went around with the dial and made a mark each time. I used a watch to click it over a notch with every spin. Holy smoke, look at it. It worked pretty good. Now, there's seven marks there. All I got to do is sort of translate them. Pretty nice of the professor to write down his own number for me. Well, here goes. You're phoning this number? Shut up. Hey, Rock, that ain't flying. Shut up, I tell you. Hello? Is this Plaza 74018? Who? Dr. Who's residence? Oh. Never mind. Thanks. Well, that's who he is. Well, now it's my turn. Goodhouse doesn't know it, but there's a goose cooking, and I think it's his. Our golf theater audience will know all the answers in just a moment. And meanwhile, here's a young fellow with an answer or two on another subject. Your headquarters for making your automobile last longer. That's a mighty good way of thinking of your neighborhood good golf dealers. Because every time you drive in at the sign of the Gulf Orange Disc, your good golf dealer can help lengthen the life of your car. For instance, right now, he's offering his own winter service specials, about which you've heard earlier. These service specials not only keep your car in tune with winter, they help it last longer, too. And your Gulf dealer is always ready with other Gulf-quality products, such as Gulf No-Knox gasoline, the extra-value gasoline that has been especially designed to prevent harmful pounding and hammering inside your motor. So right now, when you may not know just how long it'll be before you get a new car, stop regularly at your good Gulf dealers to help your present car stay young longer. Now for the second act of The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, starring Edward G. Robinson as Clitterhouse, Humphrey Bogart as Rocks, Marcia Hunt as the nurse, and with yours truly as Inspector Lane. Dr. Clitterhouse has left the gang, renounced his life of crime, and is once more ensconced in his office as a dignified medico. It's the following night, and Clitterhouse is working on his research notes in his office. Ah, you sound happy, Professor. Rock. How did you get in my office? <laughs> the cinch. Kind of careless of a mastermind to leave his windows open. Dr. Clitterhouse. Oh. You know my name, too. Yeah, I know all about you. You intend exposing me to the police? Me? Do a thing like that? Why should I? Well, then what do you want? I'll take it easy. We'll get to that. While I was waiting for you, I've been reading your little black book here. My notes? Names and everything in here. Blood analysis of okay after loft robbery. Pupils of Rock's eyes react slowly to strong light. Ought to make nice reading for the cops. Now, look here, Rocks. I've tried to... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were alone. Oh, it's all right, Miss Randolph. Anything wrong? Uh, no, I just forgot to tell you that I put some paradisal chloride tablets in your cabinet. Mrs. Gansett might call. Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Miss Randolph. Good night. Good night. Stick around, sweetheart. What? I said stick around, sweetheart. Maybe the doc's been shooting off his mouth to you, too. Doctor, what right is this man to call? Well, I'm terribly sorry, Miss Randolph. Apparently, I've made the same mistake as the immortal Dr. Frankenstein. This is my monster. Oh, then he must be one of... I mean... I was right, eh? The dame is one. Well, I assure you, Rox, that Miss Randolph is the soul of discretion. Now, please let her go. She stays, Doc. She knows what the score was, so she may as well know what the score is going to be. Oh, you have a plan? Sure, I got a plan. These notes of yours prove plenty, and I've got them. And that sort of puts you over the barrel. From now on, Doc, you're going to be working for me. Oh, very interesting. It's wonderful. You got an in with a lot of rich guys, and you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. You're going to slip me the layout of their houses, find out safe combinations, tell me when they won't be home. It'll be a cleanup for me. And just to show you I ain't a bad guy, I'm going to give you 10%. Well, your generosity stuns me. You'll take it and like it. Doctor, you mustn't let him do this. No, I'm afraid it's unavoidable. Well, uh... What else can I do? Nothing but offer your new boss a drink. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, uh, good suggestion. I have some excellent scotch in the cabinet. Wow. About six fingers and a water glass ought to do the trick. Oh, uh, how about you, sweetheart? A little snifter? 
No, thank you. Ah, don't be like that. You know, you ain't bad looking. You take them flat heel shoes off you and take some of the starch out of that I'll uniform. Alone, Rock. Private stock, huh? <laughs> okay. But hurry up with a drink. Talking to her gives me a chill. It's on the way. Fox, do you seriously mean all you've said? Try and cross me, Doc. You'll find out. Well, that's that. Here's your drink. Thanks. Not bad. It's imported. You uh, probably noticed the full smoky flavor. Well, a toast. So a killing for me and ten percent for you. Well, couldn't you make that to crime and research? <laughs> Still harping on that research, huh? Yes, because uh, I have some more to do. I've neglected the study of the greatest crime of all. Yeah, what's that? Murder. Ah, that's bad business, Doc. You can't get away with it. Oh, I don't know. It's quite easy for a doctor to eliminate someone. For poison administered in the guise of medicine, the body dropped from some convenient river, and the verdict would be death by drowning. You've got a nasty mind, Doc. Yeah. You're getting sort of sleepy. You are, Ross? Yeah. That drink sure hit me. Oh, did it? Look at me. Can you see me clearly? No. I look funny. Small and far off. My voice. Sounds rather indistinct, doesn't it? Talk louder. I can't hear you good. Doctor, what have you done to him? Well, as you pointed out, Miss Randolph, there were paradigm chloride tablets in the cabinet. Doc, I can't open my eyes. No, Rocks. And you never will again. You! You! Uh. Oh, please. There's no use struggling. Unfortunately, you placed me in a position where this was the only way out. I couldn't very well sacrifice my life's work because you were greedy, could I, Rob? Could I, Rob? No, I couldn't. You... You killed him? Yes. I'm terribly sorry I had to do it, but he was going to place me in such a position that my life's work would suffer. I'm so sorry, Rox, but you created an impossible situation, my friend. Good morning, Dr. Clitterhouse. Oh, Inspector Lane. Oh, delighted to see you. What brings you out so early, Inspector? I've got another splitting headache. Oh, that's too bad. How long have you had it? Since early this morning. It started when we fished the body of Rock's Valentine out of the river. Really? Mm-hmm. He was full of poison. Paradictal chloride. Oh, how distressing for him. Any clues? Yes. Yes, in his pocket was a book of matches with a telephone number written inside the cover. Hmm. It was somewhat blurred by the water, but it's either... Plaza 74018, Bart. Or Plaza 74016. Well, it couldn't be Plaza 74018. That's my number. Yeah. So it uh, must be the other one. 4016. Uh, that belongs to the Beauty Form Girdle Company. <laughs> oh, well, valuable clue, Inspector. Oh, we'll get more. We just picked up Harry Popus and O.K. Kinsella, and we'll soon have a complete description of this mysterious professor. I'm on my way to talk to them now. Hmm. Uh, but your headache, Inspector. Oh, well, that's almost gone. Uh, however, don't be surprised if I drop back later today. No, uh, no, no, I, I won't. Uh, goodbye, Inspector. Miss Randolph. Yes, Doctor. Get Tom Harrington on the phone, please. Your lawyer? Yes, uh, tell him I want to see him immediately. Doctor, why did Inspector Lane come here? What was it? He had a headache, Miss Randolph. Oh. The contagious kind. Now I have one. Inspector Lane will be back soon to place me under arrest. Oh, Doctor, it's terrible. Oh, no, no, don't worry, Miss Randolph. It's a clear case of monomania. As my own personal physician, I've just diagnosed my own case. Yes, Dr. Clitterhouse? I'm crazy, Miss Randolph. Absolutely crazy. Order in the court, please. Will the foreman of the jury please stand? Yes, Your Honor. Have you arrived at a verdict? Mm, well, no, Your Honor. We can't figure out the testimony of those alienists. 
They talk about uh, melancholia and uh, psychoneuroses and, and hyperamnesia and, until it drives us nuts. Uh, pardon the expression. Uh, their language leaves a doubt in your mind? That's right. We know Dr. Clitterhouse killed Valentine. He said so himself. But we've listened to all those experts, and we still don't know whether he's sane or whether he's, uh, uh, well... Go ahead. I'll pardon expression. Uh, thanks, Your Honor. Nuts! <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure that none of us has any desire to prolong this trial. Uh, Dr. Clitterhouse. Yes, Your Honor. Would you resume the witness stand? Certainly, sir. Mr. Foreman, I am recalling Dr. Clitterhouse in order to put several questions to him myself. Oh, I uh, hope it works, Your Honor. Are you ready for the questioning, Dr. Clitterhouse? Now, look here, Your Honor. We've been at this for days, and I'm tired of all this nonsense. Let's get it over with. I'm not insane at all. I was aware of the consequences of my actions that night. You were? Yes, but not of their extent or far-reaching possibilities. Your Honor. Yes, Mr. Harrington? Your Honor, could we have a short recess? I'm sorry, Mr. Harrington, but that's impossible. But I'm afraid that the strain on my client... That will be all, Mr. Harrington. Now, Dr. Clitterhouse, as a competent medical authority, do you believe it possible for an insane man to write a sane book? Emphatically not. In that case, do you consider your book, Crime and Research, to be irrational and of no scientific value? Hmm, quite the contrary. I consider my book completely rational and of definite scientific value. Say what you please about me. Do anything to me the law allows. But you cannot, you must not question the sanity of my book. I see. Now, assuming that it is impossible for an insane man to write a sane book, in your opinion, you are perfectly sane. Perfectly. Now, do what you will with me. Well, I'm sorry, Dr. Clitterhouse, if, as you say... Oh, uh, Your Honor. Mr. Foreman? uh, You don't have to ask him anything else. We've reached a verdict. What is the verdict? Not guilty, by reason of insanity. What? Well, how how on earth did you arrive at that? Well, Your Honor, the the prisoner hasn't got a prayer unless he proves himself insane. His life depends on it. So there he sits, trying his best to prove he's sane. Only an insane man would do that. So he must be... uh, Pardon the expression. Say, uh, I mean, it's uh, nuts. Very nuts. Dr. Clitterhouse, you have heard the verdict of the jury. Have you any, have you any comment to make? Amazing. Really amazing. Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart, and Marsha Hunt for a most entertaining show. Awesome stuff. That was Edward G. Robinson and Humphrey Bogart in The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse. And so, on to the competition. You could win Obsession, the unbelievably good 1949 British thriller starring Robert Newton and Sally Gray. See for yourself why I have made such a fuss about Sally Gray. And to do so is a very simple affair indeed. I'm not going to ask you to like a Facebook post or answer a question. In fact, the way to enter this competition has been blazingly obvious throughout this entire episode. Sally Gray. If you would like to win this brand spanking new copy of Obsession, simply add the hashtag Sally Gray to any tweet you happen to tweet in the next week, and I will pick a winner on Monday the 26th of May. That's S-A-L-L-Y-G-R-A-Y. Sally Gray. Sally Gray. Sally Gray. Flitterhouse. And yes, you can enter more than once, so feel free to add hashtag Sally Gray to any or all tweets until then. And if anyone asks you what the hell you're talking about, do tell them. Simple, right? Do it now. Why not tweet about how much you've enjoyed listening to the story of Dr. Nicholas Clitterhouse on the Attaboy Clarence podcast? Hashtag Sally Gray. You'll be the envy of your vastly inferior cohorts. Sally Gray. So next week's show will actually be my last for a couple of weeks as I'm off again to make another full-length special episode. Uh, This one's going to be a very dramatic affair. It's the story of how Hollywood went to war with itself in the late 40s, early 50s when it was gripped by the Second Red Scare. It's a fascinating time in Hollywood's history. Heroes were born and legends and reputations were destroyed. Hollywood really showed its true colours and it became a vicious war between the government and advocates of free speech. The effects of the battle would linger for decades, and I'll be telling the whole story of the heroes, the villains, and the many, many casualties. 
Bizarrely, there must be something in the air. Um, how is this movie podcast also came out with a show about this very subject this morning? And if you want a good primer before my documentary hits, it's a great discussion about the events that preceded the Red Scare and uh, the McCarthy hearings that came afterwards. So do check that out if you'd like a primer before my special hits in a couple of weeks. It's a good discussion that will definitely set the scene for you. Also, I should point you towards uh, Dan Carlin's superlative hardcore history episode 40 entitled Radical Thoughts, which actually inspired me to delve further and make this my next topic. He really gets under the skin of why communism was so terrifying to Americans. And also check out The Story of Film and Odyssey, a TV show by Mark Cousins, episode 5, which also made me determined to tell this story. My special's name will be Hunting Witches with Walt Disney. And it'll be with you in a few short weeks. I've just started to record it. So as next week's show is my last for a few weeks, I've decided to go big. In next week's episode, episode 15, I'll be bringing you the full, unedited version of perhaps the most infamous radio play of all time, a one-hour slice of hysteria that pretty much everyone on Earth has heard of. The complete 1938 broadcast of Orson Welles' The War of the Worlds. If you haven't heard it before, you're in for a real treat. And if you have heard it before, you're in for a real treat. Until then, email me at adam at attaboyclarence.com. Like the Facebook page, just search for Attaboy Clarence. Follow me on Twitter at, at @attaboyc. And if you have a spare two minutes, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And remember to hashtag Sally Gray, S-A-L-L-Y-G-R-A-Y, as many times as you can to win the exceptional obsession on DVD. Sally Gray. Next week, we shall all experience the War of the Worlds together. But until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And my undying thanks for your continuing support. Bye for now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.